hey guys, we are getting to that place now where any more teaching will just keep making us more knowledgeable and fatter. Okay, sure. Yeah, so we're getting to that place in the life of this church where more teaching will add just information and uh, make us knowledgeable but fatter. So hopefully we can start focusing on repeating teachings or going over old stuff in the near future and uh, having more and more of us do the work of ministry do the work of do the work that pastor uh, that a pastor should do <laughs> so that in a few years there's hardly anyone who doesn't have the ability to both plant a church and establish a church uh, with help but i think we are coming to that place where how much can you teach right there's no end to teaching the bible says there's no end to the publishing of books. That's what the Bible says. Every revival um, comes with signs and wonders. And I remember talking about this in November last year. But uh, I just want to talk about signs and wonders. Today I want to talk about the why of signs and wonders. And tomorrow perhaps the how of signs and wonders. The why of signs and wonders and the how of signs and wonders. There's something on the side that I want to address. I might be a little pensive today, I don't know why. Uh, but, um, you know, the more easily you're offended, the more easily you give in to your sensitivities, the more easy it is for the enemy to trip you up. I'm not saying become callous or hard-skinned or hard-hearted, but learn to recover from your offense, from your uh, sensitivities quickly. Don't sulk. Don't uh, distance people from you because they let you down or because you feel hurt. Don't do stuff like that. It prevents you from going further. It prevents you being selected for training by the Holy Spirit because the skin is so thin and the sensitivities are so acute and the childish responses are so intense that the Spirit of God has to wait because once the battle starts, offense will come easily and it will trip us up. I just need to say that. And if the hat fits, wear it. What we are entering into, what we are going into requires that we forgive offense fast and we move together as a unit, not isolated, not separated, not... Yeah, don't, please.
Yeah. I mean, if I'm someone who bruises easily, you would not be able to have me play with you uh, on a soccer field or a rugby uh, field. Why? Because I bruise easily. And so if I bruise easily, you'll have to either put me in a position where I do not bruise easily or you'll have to call me up when you're playing a team that's relatively weak so that nobody pushes me around. That's okay when we start, but a time comes when one needs to learn how not to be uh, someone who bruises easily. Keep that in mind, eh? It's important. Because I really believe we are coming into that time where we have to move together as a cohesive unit, not isolated, with less coping mechanisms. Less coping mechanisms. The greater our transparency, the less of the coping mechanisms. This has nothing to do with the teaching. I'm just saying this on the side because it's, for whatever reason, pressing on my heart. And it applies to both guys and girls, huh? This is not a guy thing or a girl thing. It applies to both of us. I remember someone saying this long ago. Um, you, your back must be like a colander where lots of people have stabbed you. There are a lot of holes, but they're also sealed very quickly. Thank God we don't stab each other in this church. And if we do, get healed anyways. Um, I know that sounds terribly callous. But I can say that because we don't stab each other. All right. Um, I want the volume down a little because now it's beginning to echo. Okay. Today I want to talk about signs and wonders because signs and wonders are quite... Um, expected in a revival. And so today we'll talk about the why of signs and wonders. Why do we need signs and wonders? And then uh, tomorrow we'll talk about how do we go about then um, walking in signs and wonders. Another word for signs and wonders is miracles. 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 They're basically miracles. And miracles are things that violate or override, violate or override natural order. So all the things that Don was speaking about um, make sense because uh, that's something God wants us to walk in. God wants us to walk in the 17-year-old's footstep. God wants us to uh, do again what he always likes doing. And uh, so... Miracles are basically things that violate or overrule natural order. And uh, they point to God. They point to God. And they also point to his presence amongst the people. They also point to his presence amongst the people. I'd go so far as to say that a church that is devoid of signs, miracles, and wonders. Pardon? Just one sec, guys.
Check, 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 check. Okay. Betty, what does it mean more transparency? Okay, this is going back to the previous con uh, conversation. So Betty is asking, uh, what does it mean to have more transparency? Uh, more transparency is when people see Jesus more easily. Uh, Jesus isn't hidden. More and more uh, when people see me, they'll see more and more of Jesus' characteristics come out. One of the things that Jesus wasn't, uh, Jesus wasn't uh, sensitive though, uh, Jesus wasn't uh, offended easily though he was the ultimate sensitive man. He could be moved by things so easily on heaven and on earth. And so we think transparency is the ability to see through a person. When it comes to Christianity, transparency is the ability of people to see into you and see the one who lives in you. And therefore, that's only possible as the veil of flesh becomes less and less obvious, where pretense and being someone uh, at certain times of the day and being someone else at other times of the day goes away. Where there's only one person and that person is so united with Christ and that the Christ begins to show more uh, because the person and Christ are becoming so one. Transparency exposes Christ in a person. Transparency in a Christian's case is not, uh, this is what you see is what you get. No, what you see is not what you get with a Christian. What you see should be Jesus. And that only happens as pretense uh, and uh, being two people or three people or four people disappears and the Christness comes out. I've said this before, but one of the things that really impressed me about Michael W. Smith was not his singing. It was, though I love the song, Hallelujah. But one of the things he said three years ago when he was interviewed and they asked him, so what's your New Year resolution? And he said, my New Year resolution is that at the end of the year, I will no longer be offended by people. I won't take offense. I thought, what a statement. Man, I wish I could get there. Where you are, where it's impossible for you to offend me. Not because you are not offensive, but because I'm not taking offense because of the Christ in me. If Jesus were to clam up every time he's offended or is um, grieved, my God, man, we'd have a shut heaven. Yeah, so signs and wonders um, are miracles that violate or overrule natural order. Signs or miracles point to God, and it marks us as a distinct people that carry the presence of God. If you look at Deuteronomy 4.34, Deuteronomy 4.34, Deuteronomy 4.34. Has any God, uh, a reading from verse, uh, let's read from 32. Deuteronomy 4.32 onwards. Ask now about the former days, long before your time from the day God created man on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, 
or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. <laughs> Signs and wonders and miracles are supposed to help us uh, show people that we are a distinct people and carry the presence of God. And a church that does not walk in signs, wonders, and miracles is a church that cannot uh, display his presence the way they're supposed to. Sure, you can preach it, but the thing is, and I'll say this many times over later, that the Holy Spirit never separates words and deeds. The Holy Spirit comes with this double expression of word and deed. It is never separate. Never separate. Today we're just talking about the why of signs and wonders. Guys, sorry I'm going back to the offense thing. Um, not to take offense doesn't mean you don't hurt. Not to take offense is to hurt and not react to it childishly. Not react to it by building up defense mechanisms, not react to it by withdrawing and isolating and saying, all right, I'll keep a healthy distance so that I don't get hurt again. Not taking the grief to a place of offense where now there's bitterness that has come out of the hurt. It is the ability to hurt and then take the hurt to God and take the hurt to the person if there are uh, ways to take it to the person and then leap over it into a new place. That's something that Jesus has the ability to do and you and I should learn to do. Because it's an easy trip, uh, easy tripper that the devil uses against Christians. Don't let it happen to you. Because we, we must go to Romans 8 and become conquerors, overcomers. That's enough said about that. Please don't ask me a question about that um, now. If you have a question, you can ask me later because otherwise I'll never finish this. It's my fault, but don't add to it. Yeah. So if I were to redefine um, signs and wonders or miracles, I would redefine it this way. I would redefine it as the works of God. I love this definition. I would redefine miracles as the works of God. As the works of God that restore created order and end brokenness. That's why God does miracles. God is continually in the business of trying to restore Eden. What had been broken in Eden, what has been destroyed in Eden, what has been introduced in Eden in terms of pain, tears, death. He wants to restore that and it won't be restored to Revelations 21 verse 4. But while we are waiting for Revelations 21 verse 4, God does signs and wonders. God overrules natural order. God violates natural order. Why? Because he uh, does these works so that he can restore created order and undo brokenness. Just pause on that and you'll understand why God does signs and miracles. God doesn't do signs and miracles to impress us. He's not a magician. He's got an intent that is so much deeper, so much more loving, so much more plan A, so much more restorative. 
I'm doing signs and miracles and wonders, children, because I want to restore that which was broken. I want to restore created order to how I had dreamt it to be. I want to end brokenness by overruling what is happening naturally in a world that is decaying. And this is why then you see Jesus using miraculous powers to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to raise the dead. What's he doing there? He's not trying to say, okay, um, I can produce food. He's not saying, okay, let me show you how much power I have. Let me heal a few sick. No, he's doing it because he wants to restore that which was destroyed, restore the order that he had planned initially. He used his miraculous power to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to raise the dead. And that is part of the gospel. That is part of the gospel. We'll talk about the gospel a little more tomorrow, but that is part of the gospel. Signs and wonders are part of the gospel. Signs, wonders and miracles are part of the gospel. And what is the gospel? One of the things we'll explore tomorrow. Um, is, at the end of the day, the gospel is announcing the good news that God is restoring and making all things new. The gospel is announcing the good news that God is restoring and making all things new. And this is part of it. Making a crippled hand new. Making a dead life come back to new life. It is a shame that we have confined God to regenerating the spirit and making us born again, but not allowing him to touch any other part of us. There's hardly an expectation. There's sometimes wishful thinking, there's sometimes hope, but there's hardly an expectation. We have such a sure confidence in terms of heaven. We are so sure that because we are born again, we will go to heaven. But there isn't that sure confidence when it comes to other things with regard to signs and wonders and miracles. And so we come up with such lousy theology like God, the greatest miracle that God does is the miracle of getting one saved. While it may be true, it still just sucks when it's put that way. And you dismiss a whole side of the gospel then. In the Gospels and the book of Acts, miracles were part of Jesus' message. Miracles were part of Jesus' message. And then he would preach and explain it. Because many people say, oh, but signs and wonders and miracles do not save us, so we shouldn't focus on that. I'm saying to you that there were many times when Jesus actually uh, used miracles, signs and wonders as part of his message. And after performing miracles, signs and wonders, he would actually preach on it. In... Uh, uh, Matthew 11 verse 4, uh, John's disciples are sent to him and Jesus says to them, uh, John's disciples ask, are you the real Messiah? And he says to them, go tell John that the dead are being raised, the sick are being healed, lepers are being cleansed, the blind are seeing. And anyone who doesn't take offense at this and believes it, uh, blessed are they. That's what he tells them. That yeah, you want to know if I'm the Messiah? Tell John the Baptist that this is what I'm doing. And in a sense... Science, miracles, and wonders authenticated Jesus' messiahship. How dare we take it away? How dare we stop short of it? I want to walk in this. I don't have as many years as many of you do. But if someone had helped me start much earlier in this and given me an understanding of it, 
Wouldn't the world have benefited more? In Acts chapter 3, verse 16, Peter and John have just healed the paralytic at the beautiful gates. And Peter says, hey, I know we've done the healing and some of you are upset and some of you are wondering what's happening. I just want you to know that this man has been healed in the name of Jesus and in no other name. Acts chapter 3, verse 16. He uses a miracle sign of wonder to then begin... Uh, he, he first performs a miracle sign and wonder and then uses a message to teach on what just happened in the name of Jesus. The same thing happens again in Acts chapter 14, verse 15, where I think he's in Lystra. And in Lystra, uh, a, a, a cripple is healed and uh, people begin to think that uh, Paul, is, uh, Paul and Barnabas are the Greek gods, Zeus and someone else. And they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas and again, he takes the miracle sign and wonder and uses that to then begin to teach that, listen, this is done again in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, always presents a double expression of words and deeds. A double expression. He's not saying, oh, just preach the word and the power of God unto salvation is released in the word, which is true. Which is true. That the power of God unto salvation is in the word of God. We, we, we can't deny that. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit doesn't divide it like that. He always says words and deeds. It would never occur to Paul that the miraculous would not accompany the proclamation of the gospel. It would never occur to Paul. And you see it in his writings. We'll read that. Romans 15, 18, 19. It would never occur to him that I've got to separate words and deeds. It's the word that saves and deeds are not important. He always would talk about it as if the proclamation of the gospel is accompanied by the miraculous. And the way he thought was simply because that's the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit works. The words would end up accompanying, the words would end up being accompanied by the deeds and the deeds would authenticate the word. The words would end up producing deeds and the deeds or the works. The words would produce works and the works would authenticate the word. The words would produce works and the works would authenticate the word. We have to uh, struggle, grapple, wrestle into this. Like everything else, it may require practice. It may require effort. It may require a new way of thinking. It may require persistence. It may require repeat, 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 repeat. But a day will come, like in so many other areas in our lives, why is this church a church that hears God well? Why is this church that uh, has the ability to prophesy? Why is this church becoming less pastor-oriented and more people-oriented? Why is it that clergy is not important in this church? Why is it that nations are affected by this church? Because at some point we decided that this is worth pressing into. So press in, press in, press in, press in. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Practice, practice, practice. And then one day it becomes very natural and nobody even thinks about it. In most things Christian, there's this thing called appropriation. Where you have to appropriate what God is giving. And appropriation requires breaking out of our natural, breaking out of our ways of thinking, breaking out of our set patterns, breaking out of our mindset, and appropriating what God is giving. And what he gives is so unhandleable because it's absolutely supernatural, it's illogical, it defies the mind. But once you appropriate it, it becomes flesh. 
And once the word becomes flesh, you begin to walk in it as if it's the most natural thing. Guys, today's needs in the world are so great and the church is so weak to meet it that we must go the Acts chapter 5 verse 12 to 16 route. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 to 16 route. I'm so glad for the book of Acts, man. I'm so glad we can use that as a pattern today. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 to 16. It says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Um... Manoj, can you grab me a bottle of water? Thanks. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Let me read it properly. Let me read it as if I'm actually interested in what I'm reading. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Many and not some. The apostles performed and performed. Oh, it's not a performance. I, I don't know what the word actually means in Greek, but they actually did. It was visible for all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns and around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. This is in the book of Acts, and uh, I'm looking forward to this happening in our lifetime. Guys, one of the cool things about life uh, at the age that I'm at, having been a Christian for 31 or 32 years, is that I see the faithfulness of God in what he has promised and what he uh, has said he will do. Many of the things that he told me 30 years ago has come to pass. I will, I've seen them. You've seen them. That's the great thing about being old. You get to see promises fulfilled. I was the age of some of these guys here. God said, you'll see this, you'll do this, you'll see this, you'll go here. And you think, impossible. And then you think, ah, shucks, possible. How many people does it take to get a bottle of water from the kitchen? At present, it's two people, but let's see how many more join them. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, one is a doctor and one is an engineer. And they're both in there in the kitchen trying to get me a bottle of water. This is like rocket science, huh? but hopefully one of them will get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're trying to put hydrogen and oxygen together right now. <laughs> Today's needs are so. <laughs> so, where's this from? <laughs> okay, after all that, I got tap water. Thank you, guys. A doctor and an engineer went into a kitchen. That's how most jokes start. Okay. Um, today's needs are so great and the present church is so weak to meet it that we've got to go down this route. Eh? There's a desperate prayer that the apostles, uh, the disciples pray in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, 
which we've seen many times. And when you look at it, look at the things they cried for. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Look at what it says there. What fascinates me is this was a church that had just seen Jesus Christ. Many of the people in the church had actually seen the risen Christ. Many of the people in that church had seen miracles, signs, and wonders that Christ had done. Some of them, Christ, the risen Christ had appeared to them. Uh, the preaching was phenomenal. They were preaching pretty well. The first time Peter spoke, 3,000 got saved. Second time they spoke, 5,000 got saved. So it was not like a church that wa- didn't have things happening. Despite that, look at the cry in Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, And so here's their desperate cry. And their desperate cry is three-pronged. One, boldness to witness. That's where they start, eh? And we'll probably touch on that tomorrow again. Boldness to witness. Two, God, stretch out your hand to heal. God, stretch out your hand to heal. God, perform signs and miracles. Can we start crying out this for the next week? Oh God, please, Lord. Please give me a boldness to witness. That seems to be always a door opener. Oh God, please stretch out your hand in healing. Oh God, please perform signs and wonders. If a church that had seen the risen Christ, that preached and had so many people come in and become believers, if a church like that had this desperate cry right off the bat early in their life, they wanted it so badly. They wanted it so badly. That's something that God really always responds to. Eh? When you want something badly for the when you want something badly for good reason, God responds. When you want something really badly for good reason, God almost always responds. Why did they want it so badly? Because they knew that signs and wonders helped bring people to the Lord. They knew that signs and wonders brought people to the Lord. Some of them had seen it when they were walking with Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 34 to 40. Acts chapter 9, verse 34 to 40. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. Peter had seen this before. Peter had seen these before. He's actually using almost the exact same words that Jesus used. Get up, pick up your mat. 
Immediately, Aeneas got up, all those who lived in Lydda. Look at that, eh? Let's assume Luke was exaggerating. And that it was not all, it was 90%. He wasn't exaggerating, but look what it says. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, who saw him, uh, saw him and turned to the Lord. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, all. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, two small towns, saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged, please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to his room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room when he got down on his knees and prayed. He had seen that before. He was there that day when Jesus took Peter and John with him to pray for the little girl and Jesus chased all the mourners out and then Peter and John were there. This is the other great thing with signs, miracles and wonders. Once a church, once some people in the church or once a church or once one or two people in the church start beginning to walk in this, others will see it and they will know how to do it. It's not some kind of a technique. It is the, the, the boldness, the uh, expectation, the uh, methodology, yes, but the technique is not what is important. It's fascinating how in this religion called Christianity, uh, you, you imitate who you associate with, and in you, in the process, Christ is formed. You imitate who you associate with, and so you've got to be careful about your associations, because if you are associating with someone who does not believe in miracles, signs and wonders, who is able to explain them away, who poo-poos them, and there can be people like that at Acts 29, and I'm not thinking of anybody, but if there are people like that and you associate with them, that's exactly what you get, eh? You imitate those that you associate with most of the time. And in the process, something is formed in you. And if you imitate those that associate with Christ, Christ is formed in you. And so Peter, and this is exactly why Jesus had these guys hanging with him. If you go to Mark chapter 3, I think it's Mark chapter 3, I'm not sure. Mark chapter 3 was 14. He appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach that they might be with him and that he may send them out to preach. Why be with him? Because in being with him, they would see how he does things. And now, after he's left the earth and after the Spirit of God has come, in a few short verses, we see Peter doing twice what Jesus did when he used to walk with Peter. Now you can see why Jesus was taking Peter and John with him. In a certain places, he wouldn't take the rest of them. And so, continuing, verse uh, uh, 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Uh, in uh, Jesus' case, he said, Talitha kumi. Little girl, arise. Here is Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some more time with a tanner named Simon. In Joppa, many people believed. In Lydda and Sharon, all believed. 
Signs and wonders help people bring, helped bring people to the Lord. In Acts, in the book of Acts, there are 17 times when signs or miracles resulted in conversion. 28 chapters, 17 times, where some sign or miracle performed by an apostle or a disciple ended up leading to conversion. This is critical for our existence. I certainly intend to press into this as a church. This is critical at this particular phase in our life. More knowledge, more teaching, just gives us a whole lot of information that is good, but we have everything we need for this present revival. There's nothing more you can teach about revival. <laughs> Signs and wonders are God's witness to his word. Signs and wonders are God's witness to his word. I love that. Signs and wonders are God's witness to his word. As in, I want to give evidence for my word. And so I am giving you signs and wonders from me so that they witness to the word that I preach. And there's no other passage that perhaps um, explains it better than Mark 16, verse 20. Mark 16, verse 20. Just sums it up so beautifully. Mark 16, verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Paul would describe his mission as Christ working through him. I love the phrase that he uses in Romans chapter 15, 18 and 19. Paul described his mission as Christ working through him by word and deed, by word and deed. And then he goes on to say, that's one, in the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit. Beautiful, eh? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if you and I as a church can say this? That our mission, our work, our mission is by word and deed. It's not just word. It's by word and deed. And then the word and deed is by the power of signs and wonders. And then it is by the power of the Spirit. Go to Romans 15, 18 and 19. Guys, the reason I'm going over the why of signs and wonders is because if I don't have the Word of God to uh, stand on or to testify that this is how it works, then I don't have anything. Then all I have is wishful thinking. Then all I have is I hope uh, this happens. It's a 50-50 thing. Maybe God will do it. Maybe he won't. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. Now, but once we see a pattern in the word that holds consistently, now you have something solid 
to stand on when things work and when things don't work. Expectation is not dashed when the word is solid. It is when the word is not solid or when you are not solid on the word. One or the other. When the word is not solid as in you do not have anything to stand on. Or when you are not solid on the word as in it is there but you don't know how to stand in it. Then expectations flux because when things go well expectations are high. When things don't go well you abandon the thought. But once we find a pattern that is consistent, you know that expectations can always remain on a high because there's a pattern in here. And so when things don't happen, it doesn't befuddle you at all. You just go back to the blueprint and say, okay, what do I need to do? Where do I need to change? What do I need to adjust? Where do I need to go? Romans 15 was 18 and 19. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. That's the word and deed. What I have said and done. It's not just, just said, it's said and done. By what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. What I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles. What I've said and done. By the power of signs and miracles. Paul is literally saying there, listen, I said things to you, but I just didn't leave it at saying. I demonstrated it through the power of signs and miracles. And the power of signs and miracles was in mine, but it came through a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful sequence of events, man. And this pattern is repeated again and again and again. As I said earlier, Jesus authenticated his messiahship through um, signs and wonders. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11 verse 4 and 5. Matthew 11 verse 4 and 5. Jesus replied, go back and report uh, verse 2. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? As in, are you the Messiah? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Said and done. Word and deed. What you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So here's a question I just want to ask right off the bat. Have you seen any blind that have received sight? I've seen partial sight restored. I've never seen a totally blind man receive sight. I have not. Have you seen the lame walk? Yes. It was the first miracle I saw. I was in a church in Bahrain and Chantal's dad was a pastor then. And uh, a Muslim man came into the church. Someone had brought him. And uh, there was a guest speaker and uh, this man came with a crutch and he was lame. And I used to lead worship and I'm standing there. So it was not a second-hand account. The man came and the preacher prayed for him. And then uh, gently took his crutch and uh, took it away and told the man to walk. And the man started walking. It was the first time I'd seen the lame walk. Since then, I've seen the lame walk a few times. I've seen the lame walk. Once in a 
city called Bath in the UK. I prayed for a man who was who had a leg that was short and he couldn't walk. And he started walking. My sister was there. My brother-in-law was there. A whole lot of other people were there. I've seen the lame walk. I haven't seen the blind receive full sight, just partial sight. Uh, leprosy cured? Um, no, I haven't. Skin disease cured? Yes. Uh, many times. The deaf here? Oh, yes. Um, dead raised? Once. Uh, good news preached to the poor? I wish it was happening every day through my life, but it isn't. If I were to have a church that is full and ask the same questions, many of you would raise your hands. Many others would raise their hands. What I'm trying to say is, guys, this is not some pie-in-the-sky thing for us. This is real. This is not some rah-rah thing to make it happen. This is very real. Um, Mike, you'll have to sing the song, I, I believe in Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, not the other song. So you can pull out the chords on that one. Okay. Um, Eric Reimer, I recall Jacob praying for... S <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I saw a blind person who was blind, see. It was Santosh's wife, Sajni. She had gone totally blind for 10 days. And I, went, I, I remember praying for her. And God showed us what the root was. A man right there and then. Uh, it was like scales falling off Paul's eyes. And uh, nine, 80 to 90% of her sight was restored immediately. And the 10 to 20% was restored in three days. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, man. Of course. I forgot. Isn't it great when you forget miracles? Like, like what I meant is, it's not great, but it's great because you may have seen one or two more than you thought. So, one of the things signs and wonders do is they demonstrate, mightily demonstrate the power of God. And it compels people to look, it compels people to listen. It shatters cynicism. It uh, shatters disinterest. It's very hard, man, to see a miracle and uh, pretend disinterest. or uh, Cynicism perhaps may continue because people are skeptical about these things. Part of the reason people are skeptical is because um, are these authentic healings? Like I used to share the story of a child in Mongolia whose eyes were healed, and I carried the picture on my phone for quite a while. And then I went back to Mongolia and I found that the child's eyes were still bad. What I had seen happen overnight, and I would show those pictures and I would show it to many people see. And you could see the difference in the picture. But when I went back and I found that the child's eyes hadn't recovered and the child's eyesight was still bad, I deleted that photograph from my phone and I haven't spoken about it since because one of the things that happens in Christianity is we uh, pray in faith and then use our faith to now presume that everything is fine when medically nothing may have changed. And that kind of 
skepticity is hurting Christianity because people get more and more skeptical. I was watching someone pray for someone on TV and they prayed for the person and said your pressure has gone down and your diabetes has disappeared. And then the person fell and uh, the person moved on. And while I'm glad that the person had faith to pray for it and perhaps it happened, uh, that is sometimes what raises skepticism. I pray God that we uh, have a way to send people to priests to make sure that the leprosy is gone and a sacrifice is offered. Because authentic miracles, can't deny them, man. And that's the kind that Jesus wants to do because he never did anything not authentic. You know, I don't think any of us uh, are not persuaded that God does miracles, signs and wonders. It is just that we are not convinced that it is through us. So uh, I remember many years ago when Roland Chan first came to... uh, Vancouver, I met a man who was uh, in a wheelchair and I pushed him for more than a kilometer and a half, Uh, but I didn't have the courage to pray for him, but I wanted to take him to Roland because I knew God heals. I knew God does miracles. I knew God raises people out of wheelchairs, but I wasn't convinced that I could do it. But because Roland was in town, I was taking him to Roland. And I think many of us are in that boat where we are convinced of miracles as long as we have someone else to take people to. But I want us as a church, and when I say church, I mean anybody and everybody connected to us. I want us as a church, not as a person or two people uh, that has the confidence to walk in signs, miracles, and wonders. While I don't take away from the fact that there are those amongst us that are gifted in the gifts of healings. Uh, I'm talking about us as a church beginning to operate like this. The other thing that really caught me is Jesus wouldn't command us to go preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He wouldn't command us that if he didn't have intents of backing it. That gave me a lot of confidence that okay, if God is saying, listen, go preach the good news, Uh, say that the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, all ways of restoring uh, uh, order back to the earth like he had so beautifully constructed it, all ending brokenness. If he's telling me to go and do it, then I expect him to back me up because he's giving a command. Really? He'd give me a command to do something and not back me up in it? I just don't see that Jesus. When has he ever commanded something and said, go now and do thus and I will be with you to the ends of the ages. Not really. He doesn't do that. He backs you up. man. Let me end. Tomorrow we'll talk about the how. Hopefully we'll have enough to be out on the streets. You know, there are arguments that can be brought up against what I've just said. One of the arguments is uh, that most of these things Jesus commanded only the apostles. Um, And yes, signs, miracles, and wonders are evidence of 
um, uh, apostleship. You read about that in Second Corinthians twelve twelve, and that's often used by people saying uh, all these points you made were specific commands given to apostles. And uh, Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians twelve twelve, where he says that. I'm not inferior to any of these super apostles. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. He says that in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. So it's easy to then conclude that since we are not called to be apostles, this is not exactly our cup of tea. But then what would you say about the 70 in Luke chapter 10, verse 9? In Luke chapter 10, verse 9, what would you say about the 70? The 70 were not apostles. They were sent out. But uh, isn't the church exactly supposed to do that, be sent out? No, but Jesus called the 70. So are you saying Jesus hasn't called you to do things like this? Um, by the way, what do you do with Isaiah 61? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to release those that are in bondage. What do you do with that? Luke 10, verse 9. No, not 9. Luke 10, verse 9. Uh, it's basically the 70. Where is it? Yeah, it should be. The, yeah. After that, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful. I'm sending you out with... Uh, uh, among uh, like lambs among wolves and then he goes on to say in verse 9 heal the sick who are there tell them the kingdom of God is near and so in the case of the 70 he had no problem sending them so it was not just the apostles what about Stephen in Acts chapter 6 verse 8 Stephen Acts chapter 6 verse 8 he wasn't an apostle he was a deacon but full of the Holy Spirit Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Now Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power and he did great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. What about the church in Galatia? Go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. I love it. We go from people to a whole blooming church. Galatians chapter 3 verse 5. He's actually uh, rebuking them, but in the process of the rebuke, you see the, something that the church actually had. Verse 4 and 5. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? That was a church that was quite accustomed to miracles amongst them and through them. What about the gift of healing in 1 Corinthians twelve nine? Isn't that given to the church at large? Different people, different gifts, but one of the gifts given is the gift of healing. First Corinthians twelve nine. Where it says to one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another the faith to by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers. Gifts of healing and miraculous powers present in the church given by the Spirit, as He desires. So we can't confine this to, oh, this was only to the apostles. Naturally, the apostles were the one He was training, so that's the, where He'll start. 
Unfortunately, I know apostles who say this was the commission given to them, that Matthew 10 is only for apostles. I just, what a way to undo the rest of the church, eh? So we don't have clergy laity, now we have apostles and the rest. The other argument that is uh, very commonly heard is, uh, <laughs> and these are arguments we make so that we don't have to believe for signs, miracles, and wonders, or because we have come to a place where we are no longer, um, we don't think the Holy Spirit uses his gifts, gifts as in cessationists. So another argument that's often used is, only a wicked and adulterous generation looks for signs. Matthew 16 verse 4. Only a wicked and adulterous generation looks for signs. And the context is, the Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus and they say to him, give us evidence. We want to test you. Give us evidence to show that you are who you say you are. And it is in that context that Jesus says, only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks signs. And so, yeah, it is true. If uh, you are demanding more evidence because your heart is resistant and you're unbelieving, yes, Jesus is not going to jump off a steeple for you, nor am I. That is when a wicked and adulterous generation asks for signs. If your Jesus can't do this, then I don't believe him. Jesus will still do it for you because you're compassionate, but don't try it a second time. Guys, we live in a fallen world where Suffering is there, pain is there, tears are there, death will continue till Revelation 21.4. Revelation 21.4 is a consummation, but Jesus is working towards it. And one of the reasons he has a church here on earth is so that he has a people through whom he can work towards it. My God, man, that's one of the reasons the church exists. In the middle of decaying earth, he's set apart for himself a colony of people in whose midst he dwells and through his, whose midst he wants to show that a kingdom that was supposed to be kept for the end has broken in right now and through this people he wants to show that I'm already restoring. That's what he's doing. And if the people that he's in the midst of say that nah, 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 this is uh, all for the future, th then it's a shame, man. Yes, there will come a time in Revelation 21.4 where it says that there will be, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Right now, it is passing away. It has not passed away fully, but it is passing away. Why? Because the day Jesus landed on earth and inaugurated the kingdom and he opened the scroll and read out of it, a kingdom from the future broke into the present and since then, restoration has begun. And we are the sample to the earth saying, taste and see, this is what it looks like. Taste and see, death becomes life. Taste and see, sickness becomes healing. Taste and see, natural order being replaced, overridden, violated by a superior supernatural order. Taste and see. And so sometimes it doesn't matter that you may be in the midst of suffering because even though you are suffering, signs will flow through you for others. If you read Paul's condition as he does miracle signs and wonders, you read about what's happening to him in 2 Corinthians 6. At times he says, that I felt like I was being attacked by wild beasts. 
He says that famous song, right? Uh, persecuted, not abandoned, crushed, but not destroyed and so on. In the midst of that, this man is flowing in signs, miracles and wonders. Because we have a tendency to say, oh, this world is a world of suffering. We just need to take the suffering and we shouldn't expect signs and miracles and wonders because it's too triumphalistic or victorious. I'm not preaching this to Acts 29. I'm preaching this to many who may think like this. But in the midst of your suffering, let healing miracles, signs and wonders flow through you for the sake of someone else. In 1999, when I was in Bahrain and my dad was dying, every evening I would go and preach in the church and signs and wonders would happen. Healings would happen like, it was, it was fascinating how many healings were happening. I'd go back to the hospital and then sit the night with my dad because he was in a coma. And I'd scratch my head thinking, how come he's in a coma while others are getting healed? And then one night I go and he dies. And now he's dead. And the next day I was supposed to do the meeting and I went back to the meeting. Not some stoic, heroic, Christian endeavor. It was the most natural thing to do. My dad is dead. I wept for him for a while. Go for this meeting, finish the meeting. Guess what's happening in the meeting? Again, signs and wonders are flowing. How do I feel in my heart? Hurt. How do I feel in my heart? Even bitter with God. How does God feel? Hey, since you're here, I might as well use you to let continue the flow of signs, miracles and wonders so that people that are gathered here can get a taste of what the kingdom of God that has broken into the earth looks like right now even though you may be going through suffering. So please guys, let's not think that our sufferings are going to stop Jesus from using us in the midst of our suffering to bring healing to others. That's the why. Tomorrow we'll talk about the how. Cool. Any questions? Somehow I would rather drink out of a bottle. Couldn't you find a bottle that you could put this water in? It is good water? Okay. <laughs> Any questions, guys? Anybody? Okay. We'll have Mike come up and sing that song. Really old song. It, uh, I thought it would just fit his age. And so, <laughs> and so he'll sing that one. Oh, the words are up there. That's excellent. Thanks, guys.
believe he's the son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. And I believe he's here now. Standing in our midst. Here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive believe in you Lord I believe in Jesus you Lord I believe you are the Son of God I believe you died and rose again I believe you paid for us all and I believe you're here now standing in our midst here with the power to heal now and the grace forgive I believe in you Lord I believe you are the Son of God I believe you died and rose again I believe you paid for us all thank you Jesus and I believe you are here now standing in our midst here with the power to heal now and the grace to forgive we believe in you Jesus we believe you're here in our midst now you are here with the power to heal now we believe in your power to heal now lord jesus we believe you can do it through us we believe in jesus We believe he is the Son of God. We believe you died and rose again. We believe you paid for us all. We Standing in our midst, here with the power to heal now, and the grace to forgive. 
Awesome. Thank awesome, you, Jesus. Mike. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness, power, and love, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's conclude, guys, but let's continue singing the song, but in words where you are at home. Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. What Jesus did, he has now commanded us to do. He heals today like he healed yesterday. He will heal tomorrow. He heals today like he healed yesterday. He does signs and wonders today and miracles today like he did yesterday. Yeah. What Jacob said that stood out to me is this is not new. We're not trying to create something that we want to bring up. Uh, no, this is something that he has been doing, the ancient of days. So let's, in a very quick minute, try to make this as practical as we can. Think about your next superstore visit. And you're doing your grocery shopping, and there is a man in a wheelchair. After hearing what we heard today, even though there, these are things that we know God does signs and miracles, after hearing what we heard today and over the next few days what God is going to do in our midst, we have to think differently the first time our eyes are on that person. It has to happen. Otherwise, this is pointless. So the first time we see a person and we see that person on the wheelchair, the way we think has to change. Because everything else is done by God. So, see you guys tomorrow. Bye.